We'll ask you to turn your Bibles to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And normally at this time, I would have children's questions and there would be a blurb and an outline in your bulletin. But during the holidays, I like it, for the, I like it when the congregation can just relax and absorb the word. Uh, you might still want to take notes, but I can warn you ahead of time that there are 12 points. Don't panic. That doesn't mean it's going to be super long. But our passage for this morning is Malachi chapter 4. And do keep your Bibles handy. There are just going to be two places that I'll turn to, though. We'll be looking at a number of Old Testament situations uh, throughout the sermon. Malachi chapter 4, this is the word of God. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. There ends reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for your awesome word. And you teach us so much about yourself and the way that you work and the way that you deal with your people. And we thank you so much for that. And as we turn our attention to your word, through which you have already ministered to us, we pray that you would be with us in the preaching of your word, that you would send your Holy Spirit in a special way to please help the preacher. And Lord, please help each one of us who will hear your word through the preaching of the sermon, that you would prepare our hearts, send your Holy Spirit in a special way to each one of us, that we might receive well from you this morning. And we come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So, Mary, Did You Know is a Christmas carol that was written in the 90s. It's not that old. It's a very sweet carol. It was written by Buddy Buddy Green and Mark Lowry. Uh, And it asks a question, Mary, Did You Know? But it's not really a question because each line we're given the answer to the question. It's a question about the mystery baby boy that Mary is carrying in her womb. She's been told quite a bit about who this baby was going to be. She's even told that his name will be Jesus. And many things have been foretold already about the one that would come, that she would know as a young Jewish girl from Scripture, the promises of Messiah. But could she really know what to expect with this Jesus that she was going to give birth to. 
The song goes on to tell us that he will be a miracle worker. He'll be the Savior. He'll be the Son of God from heaven, or he is the Son of God from heaven. He is the Lamb. He's the Lord of creation. And then the climax is that he is the great I am, the great I am. All true truths about Jesus Christ that all come from the Old Testament. But the fact of the matter is that question could have been asked a long time ago. A long time ago, because the Savior had been foretold long, long ago, way back at the beginning. Any Old Testament saint could have been asked that question. Do you know who this Jesus is? What did they know? What could they know? How much could they know about this Messiah that was going to come? It seems that it became more and more clear throughout the ages We know for sure that what they did know was sufficient for their faith so that they could be saved. We know that somehow, in a mysterious way, as they looked forward to the Messiah and all the things that pointed to the Messiah, that there was sufficient grace in those things in which they could rest their faith in order to be saved. That we know. But what they could know, exactly what they could see, and all these things God had given to them, we can't exactly know. But they're looking, they're looking and looking for Christ. I want to explore some of that this morning, and I'm not going to sing Adam, Did You Know? and Malachi, Did You Know? simply would not flow very well. But I do want us to examine what takes place between Adam and this last prophet, Malachi. What did they know? What could they know? Long time coming from Genesis to Jesus. We're going to see a lot of types. Understand for our young people, sometimes I'll talk about a type of Christ. And I understand that that might not be clear, but when I'm preaching in the Old Testament about people like Noah and Moses and David, talking about things like sacrifices of lambs, when I say those are types of Christ, those are hints. Hints to remind us that that someone is coming, that something is coming. That's what I mean by types, looking forward to what all those things are just signs and symbols of. We're going to look at a lot of those things. We're going to look at 12 signs. Sounds like a lot. Some of you have endured the 12 days of Christmas already this year. Some of you may have sung it already as it repeats itself over and over again. I trust I won't repeat myself over and over again, but we are going to look at 12 12 different things. Before we do that, I want us to jump ahead to Luke chapter 24. That sounds like quite a jump, doesn't it? And it is. Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus is explaining to disciples after the resurrection what their perplexity about the one they thought was going to be Messiah was all about. Their Confused because they thought he was going to be the savior of Israel, but he died. And some people are saying that he rose again. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then a little further, still in Luke, beginning in verse 38. As they were talking about these things, this is the disciples, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. 
But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We'll end there, but Jesus makes it clear that the Old Testament is about him. We need to keep that in mind. Now, we look at the Old Testament and we have the rest of the story, but I don't know about you, but if I'm reading through the Old Testament, I know I'm missing some things that have to do with Messiah, but the more I'm into it, the more I read the Old Testament, the more I see how clearly things point to Messiah, the Messiah that we know, the Savior we know as Jesus. This is going to be one of those sermons where I preach the whole Bible, sort of. We're going to fast forward through the Old Testament. There's there's so much behind our celebration of the Incarnation. We We actually sing a couple of carols from an Old Testament perspective. The children just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, filled with rich Old Testament imagery. Come thou long-expected Jesus. Those are all from an Old Testament perspective. We live in the days of fulfillment. It's hard, isn't it, for us to imagine what it must have been like not to know Jesus personally as the Savior, the one who came in the flesh, to just to just have shadows and types and signs. But here we are. What was it like for our forefathers and mothers? What was it like for them? Twelve points will move rather quickly because as I promise, it's not going to be super long. But could Adam and Eve know that the one to come from them, even though they destroyed their relationship with God, that the one would come, would turn the whole mess around, would turn the whole mess of the fall around. And the one who would come would be born of a virgin and would obey perfectly where they disobeyed, would obey all the commandments of God, and that he would actually atone for the sin that they actually were used to usher into all mankind. This one would be born in an an unusual way, even more unusual than their own being created out of the dust and out of Adam's rib, this miraculous incarnation. They couldn't know, could they, that he was going to be the son of God taking on flesh? That he would be the very one that would crush the serpent's head, destroying him ultimately, loosening the grip that he had on sinners, that that would be the one who would come from them, that he would actually be the one who would 
turn the whole issue of death around, that, that the dust of death would be turned around and the one that the grave could not hold would conquer death itself, that those who will in fact return to dust will one day be resurrected in Christ. Could Adam and Eve know that when they were given the promises of God that early on? How about Noah? Could Noah know that that his giant wooden boat that would carry all these animals and his covenant family, could he know that 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 great ark was a symbol of the refuge that believers would find from the, the deluge of God's wrath, that that would represent Christ in whom we hide ourselves from being overwhelmed by the flood of our sin and the wrath that our sin deserves. How about Abraham and Sarah? Given these wonderful promises, could they know that it was going to be this this Jesus that would be the fulfillment of all the promises? Could, Could Abraham know that when he was called to sacrifice his son, his only son, catch the word, his only son that he loved, Could he know, could Isaac know, aware at the time of what was going on, could he know that he, Isaac, represented the one who would would be sacrificed, who wouldn't be spared by an angel? Could Isaac know, could Abraham know that this all was pointing to one one who would be that ram that would be the substitutionary sacrifice whose blood would be spilt? Could Jacob and Leah understand all the promises would be fulfilled in Christ? Could they begin to grasp that their son Judah, who was a very questionable character, through an illicit relationship with Tamar, who would give birth to Perez, who would be in, who would be part of the birth line of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. Who could fathom? How about Joseph? Whose whole life in Scripture was a metaphor of the life of Christ. The real things that he experienced, speaking to what Christ would undergo in a far more profound, far more intense way that he would be despised and rejected. And he would say these very words when his brothers were terrified that he was going to destroy them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph could not know that his very life echoed what Jesus Christ would undergo. Only not for keeping people from starving to death for lack of food, but from dying from lack of grace from God, lack of reconciliation to their creator. Saving souls from sin. So that we can actually look at the cross as the disciples did and see that it was the hand of God, his sovereign plan to save sinners like us. We can say that that which which was in many ways the most evil thing that we can imagine, 
The crucifixion of the Son of God was the most gracious, most glorious, most beautiful thing that could have happened because it was intended to save sinners. What about Moses? So much in Moses. The great I am. The great I am. The sacrifice lamb. The sacrifice lambs. When they sacrifice the lamb for Passover, for the lambs for Passover, could they know that this was actually pointing to not lambs, not the blood of beasts, but the blood of Christ? Not an it. We don't call animals he and she, at least I don't. It, these sacrifices, this is not an it, this is a he, and his name is Jesus. How about the fact that Jesus, picture this, Moses standing in the wilderness with all these Israelites plagued being plagued with stinging. And Moses is told to hold up a serpent, a bronze serpent in the wilderness so that when people looked at the serpent, they could be healed from their affliction that would have otherwise killed them. Could Moses have ever imagined that the Messiah himself, Jesus himself, would say this? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Looking and longing for the fulfillment. Joshua, Yeshua, if he were Greek, his name would be Jesus. Could he have imagined that his namesake so many years later would be the one who wouldn't pave the way to the promised land, but heaven itself. And then King David, the kingly position in and of itself. But when David saw things like the son at the right hand of God in heaven, the son who must be kissed. Psalm 110, when he saw the glorious one, He could not have known that the glorious one would be born in such a humble state. When he looked at the son of his adultery, Solomon, having been told this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Could David look past Solomon? Because Solomon was not the answer. And see that there's one on the horizon of history whose kingdom would indeed be forever. When David uttered the words from his own broken heart in Psalm 21, verse 22, the opening line in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could he have known? He couldn't have known, could he? That Jesus would quote those very words on the cross. Imagine Jonah 
faltering, foolish prophet? Could he even imagine that his experience being in the belly of a fish would be used by Jesus to say the one ultimate sign, the one ultimate sign that will show you that I am the Son of God, in essence, is that I will be in the grave for three days and then be raised up. Isaiah, seeing the Lord high and lifted up with his train filling the temple. A vision of Jesus. Told that there would be a very special baby. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He would be the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, who's wounded for our transgressions. He would be the intensive warrior that would finally conquer all of his and our enemies. I think what has become my favorite passage in Isaiah is found in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. Listen closely. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. Excuse me. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Daniel, could Daniel know, (coughs) excuse me, that the king of the kingdom that was going to topple over in a more profound way, all that sets itself up against God, he was going to be the one who would would topple over Babylon, topple over Persia, topple over Greece, topple over Rome, and his kingdom would roll in with might and power and eventually cover the earth with his glory. Could he know, could Daniel know, that this one would be born in such a humble, needy state as we understand Jesus was? Well, then we finally come to Malachi. We finally come to Malachi, and, and we read here that this is, this is a great and awesome day, which I think shows us that behind what we see in this baby being born in a manger of humble birth and all those things, behind the scenes is something far more awesome and far more powerful than we ever see or even sing about in our carols. The almighty hand of God establishing his kingdom through his son, the Christ. Now there's more to come, far far more ominous things still to come. But in that day when Messiah comes, it's a great and awesome day. We're told that this forerunner, a type, a reminder of Elijah that Elijah was, will come. John the Baptist. Jesus will then come. 
It's not to mention all the other significant countless signposts, far too many to mention this morning. All these signposts pointing to Christ. All these ominous things showing us so much more than what we see from a ground level perspective. Scripture opens us up to see the glory of God behind it all and in it all. But here we end up at Malachi, standing as it were on an edge of a canyon. And it's not like history stops here. It's not like God forgot about his people. He has a remnant. He has a plan to bless his people and to gather in the Gentiles. But at this point, God stops speaking to his people. And it will be 400 years. All those years from Adam down to Malachi, people seeking, looking, longing for Messiah. Now, 400 years where God is not speaking, stunning, deadening silence. That will bring us up to nine months before Christmas, Lord willing, this evening. But here we are. Some are still seeking to find, sadly, most are not seeking at all, to know the Messiah, the Savior. As for us, we can stop looking. He's, he's come. Our longing is fulfilled. Our lives are complete. Now we serve under the king who's accomplished it all and who reigns and rules now and forever. But it's sad to know that so many are not looking or they're looking for the wrong things. The Jews are still missing the Messiah that was sent for them. The Gentiles are ignorant of the fact that the light of the Gentiles has come. And we want to say to the world, to Jew and Gentile alike, do you know who this one who was a baby boy is? He is Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Savior, only Savior of the world. One Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. A light to the Gentiles in the glory of God's people Israel. Let's pray. Lord our God, we look way back to our first parents and recognize that our sin is very much involved in that tragic fall into sin. But Lord, we know that you had something far more glorious in store for your people, even somehow more glorious than Eden itself. Full redemption from our sin. Full reconciliation to you. Life in Christ Jesus. Life forever. An unbreakable, unshakable, irrevocable promise. Sinners like us. Great act of your love and your mercy in sending your only begotten son for our sakes that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. 
We praise you that we live in the day of fulfillment. We praise you that we are not looking and longing for one to come, but we love and the worship the one who has come. And we plead on those who are still in darkness, who see no Messiah, who see no light. Have mercy, Lord. Open their eyes, we pray. In Jesus' name.